Silenced, Shut Up or Die by Randy L. Noble, Chapter 1 Do not keep silent when your values and ideas are being attacked. If a dictatorship ever comes to this country, it will be by the fault of those who keep silent. We are still free enough to speak. Do we have time? No one can tell. Ian Rand Chapter 1 The Crisis 2020 was fast becoming the year from hell. A deadly virus purported to have come from a lab in Wuhan, China, had morphed into a worldwide pandemic. Hospitals all over the world quickly became overcrowded. Doctors and nurses struggled to stabilize patients from the tiny bacteria that had invaded their respiratory systems and were claiming their lives within just a few days. President Trump quickly mobilized a task force on the pandemic and began shipping out ventilators to hospitals in every city. The World Health Organization and the Center for Disease Control, zealous to stop the spread of the deadly virus, recommended a nationwide shutdown. Reluctantly, the president implemented a lockdown that would force all small businesses to shut their doors. Citizens that had to work were required to practice social distancing, wear masks, and wash their hands frequently. Within a matter of a few weeks, the bottom fell out. The once robust economy that Trump had created experienced a major meltdown. The unemployment figures began skyrocketing. Restaurants, hotels, fitness centers, all were forced to lock their doors. Even churches had to close and convert all of their services to online meetings. The nation was in chaos, and just when things seemingly couldn't get any worse, a cell phone video in Minnesota went viral. The video showed the agonizing death of an African-American man at the hands of a white cop. George Floyd had just been arrested for passing counterfeit money. He was high on fentanyl and putting up a vicious struggle with the policeman. The video graphically depicted Mr. Floyd laying on his stomach with the knee of a white police officer firmly planted across his neck. He was complaining of not being able to breathe, and yet the officer refused to lip up his knee. After the paramedics arrived and rushed him to the hospital, he was later pronounced dead. Now, another deadly virus had invaded America, and it was the virus of racism. Another black cop had been murdered by a white cop, and this was unacceptable. Immediately, in response to the nine-minute video, death and destruction broke out in almost every city. Rioting, looting, and the burning of small businesses took place the day after Memorial Day. America had been plunged into another episode of racial unrest on top of the COVID-19 virus that had already claimed the lives of thousands of Americans. Hopelessness and despair filled the hearts of people as moment after moment and night after night they were subjected to endless video footage on the news of the burning of America. America was in a crisis, a crisis for human rights, free speech, freedom. Like George Floyd, everyone just wanted to breathe again and return to normal. Pastor Denny McDaniels rounded the corner and began walking down First Avenue en route to River of Life Community Church. 
He took a frustrated, deep breath underneath his cloth mask. He hated his mask. He just wanted to breathe in the air again, the air from the waterfront just a few miles away, that he was used to breathing in every morning before the arrival of this ugly virus. Denny loved the city of Seattle. It was shortly after coming home from the bloody war in Iraq that Denny and his wife Patricia pulled up their strakes and together made a major life change. Denny was a true patriot. He loved his country, his guns, his religion, and now as a veteran living back in the private sector, he was ready to begin the next phase of his life. For a long time now, he sensed God calling him to become a pastor and invest his time and energy in teaching young people the gospel and the importance of following Christ. Right after his last tour of duty in Iraq, he returned home and began channeling his passion into ministry. After four years in seminary, Denny began praying for a city where he could build a church and reach out to the community. Seattle, Washington. Yeah, that's perfect, Denny reasoned within himself. Denny understood that Seattle was one of the most liberal cities in America. Seattle was the center of legalized marijuana, gay marriage, and ethnic diversity. He understood the challenges of reaching out to the young people of Seattle. They were content to be independent, pursue their own dreams, and not be bothered with religion. However, that was exactly what Denny wanted. He wanted to reach out to the unchurched with authentic relationships that demonstrated the love of Christ in action. There was a significant problem with homeless people in Seattle, abandoned to a dirty, decadent life on the streets, living alongside the drug addicts and struggling to stay alive. Denny's passion and mission was to impact their lives, feed and clothe them, teach them work skills, and give them hope again. Arriving in Seattle in 2009, Denny and his wife Patricia, with their three-year-old son Nathan, settled into a three-bedroom, two-bath remodel home 13 miles from the Belltown district. Their remodeled home came complete with a cozy wood-burning fireplace and a spacious backyard for the children to romp around in. Denny wanted to live amongst the hurting and broken. He wanted to meet people right where they lived, and so the decision to have a church in the heart of the Belltown Business District was the perfect idea. Here is where thousands of people gathered every day at the art galleries, the clothing stores, the salons, the outdoor cafes, the jazz clubs, and taking scenic walks along the riverfront. First Avenue was the perfect location for a church to be a light in the darkness where homeless people and drug addicts roam the streets struggling to stay alive. In 2010, River of Life Community Church was born in the middle of First Avenue. The empty building, which was once home to a family Christian bookstore, would be spacious enough for the main auditorium. Right next door, an old converted street front cafe would become the location of a soup kitchen for the homeless and also a prayer room. The building capacity would only allow for 250 people to meet at once. An occupancy permit was attained and hard work began with painting, restoring, and constructing a sign with the church's name displayed. Denny and his wife Patty 
would spend hours talking with people on the streets and explaining to them what their mission was all about. They would talk to the homeless and reach out with compassion to the drug addicts. Within a few months, they had 50 members and began holding services in the newly transformed bookstore that was now officially their church. Every Friday night, Denny and Patricia would head out on the streets and end up at the waterfront conversing with the youth, answering their objections to Christianity, and inviting them to the Sunday worship service. The Lord showed them great favor and blessed their tireless commitment in giving shelter to the homeless. By 2012, the River of Life Community Church had grown to over 200 dedicated members. They had established themselves with a good reputation in the Belltown Business District. Denny and Patricia were both overwhelmed with joy. Their prayers had been dramatically answered. River of Life Community Church had become a beacon of hope for the hopeless in Belltown. Turning the corner, Denny was grieved as he looked intently at Pete's Coffee Shop, located just a 100 feet from the church. A big sign on the front door in black letters read, Closed. The pandemic was bankrupting his best friends. The once robust economy in Belltown, where every day thousands of tourists would frequent, was now nothing more than a ghost town. Even though it was early Sunday morning, when most people were in church, First Avenue had always been alive with people. But now it was vacant. Denny was so absorbed in the thought that he had temporarily shut out a very familiar sound filling the Sunday morning air. It was the happy, faithful sound of a saxophone blurting out jazz riffs. Denny's face broke into a smile. It was Charlie. Every Sunday morning, Charlie Hammond would set up shop directly in front of his church and entertain visitors with his talented renditions of famous jazz riffs. The outdoor concert was Charlie's favorite venue. Denny loved his talent. He had tried several times to have Charlie come inside the church and play, but as always, he would decline the offer saying, Oh no, Pastor Denny. The Lord doesn't approve of my drinking and my lifestyle, so I better just stay outside. You wouldn't want the roof to collapse and people to get hurt, he would say with a chuckle in his voice. This morning, Charlie was in fine form blurting out jazz riffs with great passion and emotion. Charlie was a short man, only 5'4", with long, straggly, shoulder-length birdied blonde hair and a grayish beard covering his chin. He was short, but he had the lungs of an elephant, belting out incredible riffs on his saxophone. Charlie saw Denny approaching, and he stopped playing. Good morning, Pastor Denny. How are you? Pastor Denny walked up close to Charlie. The contrast was so humorous. Pastor Denny stood towering above Charlie at six foot two inches tall, slender build, with short black hair and a clean shaven chin. Charlie never disclosed his true age, but Denny believed he was in his 50s. Charlie was an off-and-on street person. Sometimes he would stay with friends, but most of the time, He boarded up in a local homeless shelter for the night. Lying next to Charlie on the ground was a wicker basket for donations. Then he looked down at the empty basket. Today would be a tough day for getting money. 
especially with Seattle experiencing lockdowns. Reaching into his pocket, Pastor Denny pulled a $20 bill bill out of his wallet and dropped it into the basket. Charlie's face beamed with joy. God bless you, Pastor Denny. Pastor Denny gave Charlie a compassionate look. Let me tell you, friend, when I hear your sax playing as I rounded the corner, my mood suddenly changed for the better. Your sax playing is the best medicine for my soul. Aw, you are so kind, Charlie replied. He caressed his saxophone with his hand. A huge smile broke over his face. I guess the man upstairs gave me this gift just to keep me out of trouble. Pastor Denny's face broke into a smile, and then suddenly it changed into an angry stare. He noticed the ceiling lights of the liquor store across the street were shining brightly. Then a few feet down the street, he noticed the same in the local strip club and bar. Anger and bitterness filled his soul. Why were these establishments allowed to remain open as essential businesses when churches and other venues had to be shut down because of the virus? Deep down inside, Denny realized that his church is going to be next. Charlie followed Pastor Denny's eyes. He shook his head and chuckled out loud. Now, ain't that a sight, Pastor Denny? Charlie rolled his eyes. Here you have a church with the sick, with all kinds of restrictions, and these sinful places have none. Not that I'm necessarily against nude women and drinking, you understand, but but that just doesn't seem fair. Pastor Denny shook his head in shame. It's the way of the world, Charlie. Satan hates the truth and will always bless and prosper sin. You got that right, Pastor, Charlie said in agreement. Once again, The cool morning air was filled with the melodic jazz riffs from Charlie's saxophone. Then he smiled and then walked through the front door of the church. Almost immediately, he noticed Kelly Fritz sprawled out across the floor in front of the stage, fervently praying, as was her daily custom. Seeing Kelly brought a huge smile to Denny's face. Kelly was a dedicated prayer warrior. She understood the biblical principle of deep intercession and spiritual warfare. Before anyone else arrived at church, there was Kelly, pleading before the throne of God for the lost and hurting. However, praying had not always been Kelly's passion. Denny remembered almost two years ago when he met Kelly on the streets, addicted to heroin and wanting to die. Both Denny and Patricia showed Kelly compassion taking her under their wing and helping her confront the darkness of her soul. They prayed and cried together for weeks and watched God do an incredible miracle of breaking the chains of addiction that had nearly killed her. Now more than two years later, Kelly had been completely transformed from a heroin addict into a passionate soul winner for Jesus. Her daily routine was going back out on the streets to give hope and healing to the other drug addicts. As Denny walked past the row of chairs surrounding the stage where he preached from, he noticed assistant pastor Jacob Martin coming out from behind the staff office area. Jacob was dressed in his usual red wool sweater with a black tie and neatly pressed brown khaki pants. Denny and Jacob were different as night and day, but the perfect complement to each other. 
Denny considered himself the hands-on practical pastor in the trenches with the herding of homeless, while Jacob was, quote, the intellectual glue that held the ministry together. He was the apologist who would converse with the skeptic, answering the tough objections to Christianity, and also the sharp political debater going toe-to-toe with the emotional liberal and shutting down their rhetoric. Oh, good morning, Pastor Danny, Jacob said, breathing a sigh of relief. Danny could see a concern in his eyes. Taking a deep breath, Jacob turned and faced Danny. Have you heard from Derek? I've been trying to reach him, and he hasn't returned any of my messages. That's not like him. Denny took a deep breath, rubbed his chin, and thought deeply. Hmm. No, I haven't heard from him since last Friday when he took the youth group to Tavoli's for a pizza night. Why? Is there a reason for the concern? Jacob thought quietly for a moment. Then he shook his head. I'm not sure. I'm not trying to panic, but something just doesn't seem right. Then Jacob quickly changed the conversation topic, getting an urgent look on his face. Oh, by the way, Councilman, yeah, that's right, Councilman Robert McMillan is waiting for you in his office. He says it's very important. Denny rolled his eyes and took another frustrating deep breath. He quickly walked past Jacob and turned the corner toward his office. Opening up the door in haste, he caught the councilman off guard. Robert Macmillan quickly jumped up from his seat. Good morning, Pastor McDaniels. Good morning, Councilman, Denny replied as he sat down behind his desk trying to relax. I'll get right to the point, Robert said, sitting back down in his chair and crossing his legs. As you well know, the hospital COVID cases have gone through the roof, which means we must immediately do everything we can to slow down the spread. Then he stared intently back at Robert, knowing exactly what was coming next. You must close the doors of your church and make arrangements to conduct services online. This will be for several weeks and maybe months until the virus is under control. I'm sure you understand, Pastor. Denny cupped his hands around the mask covering his mouth and nose. A look of deep frustration came over his face. He leaned forward across his desk, drawing closer to the councilman. I cannot do that and will not do that, Mr. McMillan. I'm sorry. You know me. I believe in civil obedience and have always tried to cooperate with the city council, but this council and the government are trampling on my First Amendment rights of free speech and assembly. Robert's face grew red with anger. He took an angry, deep breath. I cannot allow you and your church members to infect each other and spread the virus in this community. I have an obligation for the safety of all community members. And I have an obligation to God Almighty to preach his word and not allow the government, which is using this virus to scare and control people, to now shut down churches. What this council is doing is very hypocritical. You are demanding churches to shut their doors, but you're allowing strip clubs and liquor stores to remain open. That is not true, Robert firmly replied. But you also have an obligation to God Almighty to obey civil ordinances, don't you? Denny grew impatient. He could feel the blood surging through his veins. I do, 
But when I judge that this order goes beyond civil obligations to trampling on my constitutional rights, then I'm sorry. I must obey God and not man, Denny snapped back. Robert abruptly stood up from his chair and leaned his elbows on Denny's desk, looking intently into his blue eyes. Pastor McDaniels, you are forcing my hand to act, and I will act. For every day you fail to shut your doors, I will impose a $3,000 fine, and next I will recommend to the council to have your occupancy permit removed. Denny could see the fire and determination in Robert's eyes. He sat quietly for a minute, composing his thoughts, and then finally stood up from behind his desk. As you will, Councilman McMillan, I will inform the congregation of your decision. Good day. The nine o'clock service was about ready to begin. The 200 seats facing the stage where the pulpit was located were now filled to capacity. Three cameras on tripods were strategically placed in the storefront auditorium to broadcast the service on Facebook Live. Pastor McDaniels placed his laptop down in the pulpit in front of him and logged on. Behind him was a large video screen for his PowerPoint presentation this morning. He had a very serious and sober message to proclaim about the crisis River of Life Community Church was now facing. Taking his handkerchief out of his pocket, he gently wiped the beads of sweat rolling down his face. He could feel the stress and pressure all throughout his body. It reminded him of the stress right before going to battle in Iraq. Those were the days he wished he could forget, but the nightmares refused to go away. The lights went dim in the tiny storefront auditorium, and the congregation became quiet. Pastor McDaniels took a long, deep breath and stared intently into the face of the church members, anxious to hear his message. Good morning, beloved believers, Denny enthusiastically said. There was a loud echo of good mornings in reply. Denny pressed a key on the computer, and the scripture, Matthew sixteen eighteen boldly flashed across the screen. As all of you know, this is my life verse for ministry. Jesus declares to Peter, after he makes a bold confession that he is the Son of God, Jesus replies, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Danny pressed another key, and a picture of Ayn Rand came up on the screen with a quote underneath it. Ayn Rand the great novelist, may have been an atheist, but she was right about this, and I quote, Do not keep silent when your own values are being attacked. If a dictatorship ever comes to this country, it will be by the fault of those who keep silent. We are still free enough to speak. Do we have time? No one can tell. Pastor McDaniels took a quick sip of cool water from the cup next to his laptop. This morning, in fact, just over an hour ago, Councilman Robert McMillan sat in my office and was very blunt and to the point. He told me that I would have to close the doors of our church because of the pandemic. I looked him straight in the eyes and said, Sir, I cannot do that. I am willing to wear a mask, and we as a church are willing to abide by social distancing in our services, but I will not shut 
down our church. I will not shut our doors because I believe it goes directly against our constitutional rights. A chorus of loud amens echoed throughout the auditorium. We are in a crisis. Every day that we keep our doors open, we will be fined $3,000. And if we don't fully comply, the councilman threatened to have our occupancy permit revoked. The congregation was shocked. Gasps and moans could be heard. As your pastor, I have a solemn responsibility to protect the flock. I take that seriously. I care about your health and safety, but I also firmly believe that across this nation, the government and the state powers that be are using this virus to control people's lives. There is so much misinformation out there on the internet, and if someone dares to disagree with that narrative, social media and state governments rush in to shut them down. This is very scary. We cannot and must not be silent. As Iron Rand so rightfully proclaims, the City Council of Seattle wants to silence us. However, Jesus promises us that the gates of hell cannot stop the power of the gospel, cannot stop or silence the church. A loud round of applause shattered the silence of the auditorium. People stood to their feet, clapping loudly. Just yesterday, Pastor McDaniels continued, I heard from two very distraught church members who work at the local hospital in housekeeping. They had posted something on Facebook speaking out against the activities of Black Lives Matters in the cities across America that are currently rioting and burning down small businesses. Within a matter of hours, the two church members were hauled into the offices of human resources and fired for sowing racial discord on social media while at work. A loud chorus of boos echoed in the auditorium. Pastor McDaniel slammed his fist firmly down on the podium. Big tech, social media, and employers are drinking the poison of political correctness, are working overtime to trample on our First Amendment rights of free speech. Pastor McDaniels pressed another key on his computer. A picture of Hitler speaking to a large crowd in Germany flashed across the screen. Under National Socialism, Hitler created a totalitarian state that infiltrated the churches, shut down their preaching, secularizing the message of the gospel. God had to be removed in order for the policies of National Socialism to be implemented. The same is true for today. When the government removes all references to God in prayer, then the vacuum is filled or replaced with secular values, abortion, euthanasia, sexual indoctrination of children, homosexual marriage, etc. Many church members shook their heads in shame in response. Pastor McDaniel moved away from the pulpit and moved closer to the edge of the stage. He looked intently into the eyes of the congregation. I believe God is using this virus to shake his church. I believe he is sending persecution to purify us. I believe he is calling us to shake off our complacency and go to a whole new level of ministry. 
But it is our responsibility to seek his face and pray like never before. We are facing demonic onslaught, principalities and powers in high places, using the government to attack and silence the church. We must not retreat under government oppression and censorship. At this hour, we are witnessing the very foundations of freedom and democracy crumbling before our very eyes. Pastor McDaniels pressed another key on his laptop and pictures of masks flashed onto the screen. Do not misunderstand me. I believe the virus is real and we must respond with common sense and be safe. But I want you to understand what I believe is exactly going on behind the scenes. Pastor McDaniels removed his mask and held it up for everyone to see. Over 2,300 years ago, long before Islam, Arabs discovered that forcing people to cover their noses and mouth broke their will and individuality. It depersonalized them and made them submissive. That is why later on they imposed on every woman the mandatory use of a fabric covering their face. Then Islam turned it into a woman's symbol of submission to Allah. Do you know that modern psychology states that without a face we don't exist as independent beings? Therefore, face coverings and masks are nothing more than ancient tools to break down people psychologically. Masks delete individuality. Pastor McDaniels turned off his computer and took a deep breath, looking boldly into the faces of the congregation, sitting stunned before his eyes. We are facing a very serious crisis. I will not lie to you, but personally, I'm a little frightened about what is happening all around us. However, we have the bold promise of Christ that Satan and the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail against us. I need to know if everyone is on board with me. We are in the fight of our lives, but we will not be silenced. The lights came back on in the auditorium as Pastor McDaniels concluded his sermon. I want to conclude by saying that Christians are not to act like sheep, following blindly every voice that's pretending to be authoritative. The only voice we obey is the voice of Christ. There are some who are willing to obey the government and their scare tactics in order to obtain a little safety and security. But I want to remind you that the great statesman, Ben Franklin, in his wisdom, foreseeing, I believe, our present day, denounced that philosophy and warned us, quote, any society that will give up a little liberty to gain a little security will deserve neither and lose both. The congregation became totally silent, listening intently to Pastor McDaniel's every word. In the coming days, We are going to be sorely tempted to throw in the towel. But remember, we are soldiers of Christ. And as soldiers, we never get up, never give up, knowing God is on our side. He will never leave or forsake us. He stands with us until the very end. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe, and our fight is his fight. The battle of the Lord, and the battle is the Lord's. Let's pray. That concludes chapter 1, Silenced 
shut up or die.